Hiring? With Indeed, your search is over. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. plus on their feet. Nobody's left to beat the traffic tonight, I guarantee you. Mark gets the sign. The wind and the pitch, here it is. Swung, fly ball, deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes, 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 yes. Hamlin, the Braves are giving you a championship. The 25 lighters on my dresser. Yes, sir. You know I got to get paid. Now get ready, this is the Platinum Sombrero Podcast with your hosts, Dylan Short and Adam Doc Herbert. Hey everybody, welcome to the Christmas edition of the Platinum Sombrero. Now I know Christmas isn't for like another five days, but this is the last episode we're going to get in before the Christmas break. And as always, especially for this Christmas episode, as the bowl games really get underway, we are brought to you by MyBookie.ag. MyBookie, the number one online sports book in all the land. All of the lines you could ever ask for for all of the 5,000 bowl games, MyBookie has you covered. If you want to know who's playing in the Camellia Bowl and what the spread is, you have to be a real degenerate to want to gamble on the Camellia Bowl. But my bookie doesn't care. They won't judge you. They'll just give you the most up-to-date line that you can possibly find. Maybe you're into the prop bets and betting how many players are going to sit out of a bowl game in preparation for the draft. My bookie has you covered there. Maybe you want to get a little bit crazy and bet on where Hinjin Ryu is going to end up. I'm sure my bookie has a line there. And if you use our promo code ARMCHAIR, A-R-M-C-H-A-I-R, then you're going to get a 100% deposit match up to $1,000. So when you sign up for your account, you're going to put in your name, fill out all your little info. It's going to ask you how much you want to put in your wallet. Whatever you put in up to $1,000, my bookie is going to match it. That's free money. That means you can double your money for nothing. All you have to do is be smart. If you're a guy that dominates fantasy, if you're a guy that thinks you have what it takes, mybookie.ag is the place for you. Make sure you go online and make sure you use our promo code armchair. Let them know where you heard it right here on the Platinum Sombrero. So, Doc, big yes. things moving yet again this week. Um, this free agency, 
count this as one of my favorite free agencies in a long time, just for the sheer amount of stuff that it's given us to talk about. But before we get into any of that, uh, we would be remiss if we did not thank all of you. For all of you who have taken the time to leave iTunes reviews, uh, or really any reviews, but the iTunes ones is just the easiest ones for us to check, but uh, reviews or ratings or Patreon subscribers, especially you patrons, uh, all of it, whether it's just people who like to leave some comments on the social media page and interact with us, we would be remiss in this time of, of, of thoughtfulness and caring to, uh, we'd be remiss if we did not tell you how much we appreciate you guys. Doc, I know you feel the same. No doubt about it. You know, we <clears throat> we love doing the show, and uh, we love having people that actually it seems to resonate with, which is which is super cool. You know, um, musicians always like it when people listen to their music, so it's much the much the same thing here. So big thanks to everybody. Um, this stuff for the iTunes reviews, you know, this, this stuff matters. This this stuff counts when people go looking for Braves podcast. They, by and large, they find us because you guys recommend us. So thank you very much to everybody. And whoever it was that nominated Dylan for Time Magazine's Person of the Year, that's a that's a good nomination. I'm sorry you didn't wind up winning in the end, buddy, but that's still, you got to feel slightly honored. That dang Greta Thunberg. Mm-hmm. Should have been me mm-hmm. on that cover. It, what is it should have been she, you. Oh, she cares about the environment. Cool. What does that mean for me, Braves fans? There's always 2020, man. We just got to have a really good year. Listen, if I would have won, you would have seen me doing a full-on snowboard down that Visa Big Air that they've got at SunTrust Park. Oh, yeah. Yeah, if I wasn't completely terrified that I would break my entire body, I might be interested in doing that thing. I asked if they would let me do that, by the way. Uh, they said no. So what... what I don't even know what it is. I just know they're putting a giant ski slope in the outfield. I mean, is this something you apply for? Do you have to do like a background check? <laughs> What's the deal? No, they're 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 bringing in like X Games people, people from the Olympics and stuff like that, like professionals, uh, not just nobody's like me because it's like seventy feet. It's like seventy stories. Oh, so is this isn't one of those like uh, you know ride the zip line at uh, Hope and Will's Sandlot or anything no. like that? No, this is full on steep and everything. It's not a gentle grade. It's just pretty much straight down. So my fear that I would break myself is pretty, pretty founded. It's pretty well founded. Um, just I, you know, me, I would do it for the publicity. I would have live streamed it. It's not too late. We can still get down there, man. <laughs> I mean, I could always just jailbreak it and jump on and just slide down. Just wear your TPS shirt. This is going to be the greatest marketing campaign. Right. <laughs> this is this is next how we episode start will be done from the the visitation. Right. Next episode will be done from visitation. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'll edit that. <laughs> Don't worry. Yeah, thank you. Um, but in all seriousness, it is our Christmas episode. And as you guys can tell, we're we're having a little bit of a fun time today. It's, uh, it's a nice relaxing moment now that I'm just not at work. It means it's relaxing for me. Um, we're going to do something a little bit special for you guys at the end of this episode. So if you guys have a habit of not tuning in, to the second segment, break that habit today. Uh, we are going to get back into some things that we really enjoy doing and that you guys tend to love as well. Uh, and we'll have you guys follow us along and, and play it at home and send us your answers. But as I mentioned, there's some big things that have just happened this week and a little bit into the tail into last week after the show. Obviously, what happened within like 30 minutes of us ending the show uh, during free agency. And the big one of those was Anthony Rendon to the Angels on a seven-year 200 and what was it 245 million? 245, or 254. Yeah. Seven years, $245 million, the same exact deal that uh, Strasburg got, if I'm not mistaken, uh, which the thought was that was what the Angels offered Rendon. Now, Doc, I don't think you or I really thought Rendon would go there. I thought for sure that he'd be going home to the Rangers. You know, I, I, 
I knew that there were going to be a lot of teams that were making a run at him, but I just, when I look at the Angels and the way they've got their payroll architected, you know, they've got big money for Trout, obviously, and, you know, they got big money for Justin Upton, and Otani's making some decent money, and Simmons, you know, he's at the back end of his contract, so so he's making a decent amount. I mean, they've, and Albert Pujols still is just making a ton of money, so I was not expecting that they would take on another one of those really big contracts, but I guess when you look at the fact that Simmons' deal is ending and Pujols' deal is ending, they are going to have some money that frees up, and, you know, they're trying to do that that Golden State Warriors thing where they're they're just loading up on all as many superstars as they can and hoping that the depth doesn't wind up becoming any type of issue. So it would have made sense for him in Texas. It would have made sense to up until Strasburg's on the deal to see Rendon back in Washington. Honestly, it wouldn't have surprised me too much if he had come to Atlanta just based on the the connection between them having drafted him and the fact that Atlanta is so clear in their need for for a third baseman. So $35 million is nice, and Josh Donaldson, has, he better send him a Christmas card or some some type of thank you token, because he probably just added an extra $15 million to JD's contract by getting $35 million on AAV. That's I mean, huge money. At least. And speaking of Josh Donaldson, the Braves did sign a third baseman, just not the one that most of us were wanting for. But some of you will be very happy, as Charlie Culberson is now back in the fold. Uh, Doc, as you remember, I think I mentioned this like the day that he got cut. I think we had an episode that day, and uh, in the midst of everyone freaking out about Culberson being gone, um, I did say that it's not going to be a shock if he comes back. Two million was not a valuable deal, but you get him back on on an unguaranteed contract. I think he makes a million if he makes the Major League Ball Club, which you know there's a fair chance that he will, um, unless they do something else to upgrade the bench. Which you and I both think that there's still upgrades to be made here, but we'll, we'll discuss that a little bit later. But for those of you that have been crying and despondent at the losing the losing Charlie Culberson. I'm not going to call him Charlie clutch, but losing Charlie Culberson. Well, he's back in the fold now on a much more on a deal. That's much more, more to what he actually is at this point. Um, that way you're not going to get the whole, Oh, we're paying him 200 or $2 million to be horrible. Now you're paying him a deal. That's a little bit more fair market value for him. Uh, if he makes the club awesome. Uh, if he doesn't, then the Braves aren't really out any money. So, um, I can't really find a downside to bringing him back on a minor league deal. Same. And and yeah, I think that we both knew that there was a, a really decent chance he would come back here. And they, truthfully, they kind of did him a solid, at least to, to hear the way that they're framing it now, was, you know, we gave him an opportunity to go find another big league contract, and we were always comfortable in offering the minor league deal. And, you know, a million dollars for being being a bench player, role player, fan favorite, it's, it's a win for everybody. And truthfully, I was surprised that they didn't just give him $2 million. But if they're being payroll conscious, they're being um, payroll conscious with, with a, a focus on um, no bad deals, even no small bad deals, which I like Charlie Culberson, but, you know, his struggles last year were legitimate. You know, you have to draw that same delineation point that the, the Washington Nationals were so proud of for for a very large part of the season. And now you start looking at available holes on the bench. You know, you have the other half of the Darno Flowers platoon, the other half of the Marcakis Duval platoon, and then the other half of the Camargo Riley platoon. So you add Culberson into that mix if he winds up making it. That's that's pretty decent. Um, you know, Swiss Army knife type guy who won't murder you on defense, and even if his clutch stats were 
slightly overrated by everybody. <laughs> at least I'm glad, the, I'm at glad least. you said that and not me. Well, I mean, at least the ones from 2019, you know, um, 2018, he really did have some, some pretty big moments. So certainly not to discount that, but I, you, you pull for guys like this and you want to see him come back and succeed here. If he were to go somewhere else and succeed, I'd be really happy for him, but I'd be way, I'd be most happy for him if he were to succeed here. And I think that's a succinct summarization. Um, you know, you hope that you don't have to use him a ton, but if he does manage to recapture some of that 2018 skill set, uh, that's a good move for the Braves. They are super right-handed heavy on the bench, so it's not written in stone that he's going to be there. Uh, Matt Joyce is still out there. I wouldn't be shocked if if he doesn't get any real good offers if Matt Joyce is brought back, quite honestly, because I'd play Joyce over Nick Marcakis anyway. Um, but I do have a feeling that Joyce will get picked up as a starter somewhere, whether even that's someplace like Baltimore or something. Somebody will notice what he did in his full-time starts last year and, and want to take a little shot on him. But free agency as it continues to churn, finally, finally, we can put an end to one major annoyance and one major question. And Doc, who do you think I'm talking about? Well, I don't think you're, you're talking about the Corey Kluber trade. Um, no, but we will I talk to, about that. We will. Um, yeah, Madison Bumgarner going to the Diamondbacks. Five years, $85 million. He Thank did wind you. up getting paid in the end. Thank you. And he it's a deferral, so he's only making like $6 million the first year. Yeah, the structure of that is really bizarre. Like, he's making $6 million next year, and I think there's uh, the third and fourth years of the deal, he's making $23 million. Yeah. Uh, yeah, essentially, over the span of the years that he's there, the deal's worth like $81.1 million, but they will have to pay him afterwards, too. You know, so there's a, a tiny amount of deferral in there. And, you know, when people were talking about Bumgarner getting $100 million, I always thought that was honestly pretty far-fetched. I mean, he is not a bad pitcher. I just didn't think that he was as natural of a fit here as most people thought that he was. You're being nice. Outside of San Francisco, he was a horrendous pitcher. And he will still get the opportunity to to pitch in San Francisco some. You know, we, we've talked about you know, pitching in San Diego. That division is probably a really good fit for him. Um, being in some of those bigger ballparks. And some people are really inspired by, you know, he had an uptick in his the spin rate on his curveball last year, which is, you know, which is good. But also his fastball velo went down. So um, I just, I'm so happy that we can put this saga to bed. Not, it just kind of became one of those contentious points. It's it's not dissimilar to what surrounds Marcakis, is that it's not even about the player itself, the problem quote-unquote problem, because it's not an actual problem, but, like, the, the problem, <laughs> if there was one, would be just more so the perception of the player and what he is versus what he is not. You know, Bumgarner's fine if used properly. Marquecas is fine if used properly. But if you're, you sign Bumgarner and you put him at the front of your rotation, you're going to be sorely disappointed, not dissimilar to Dallas Keuchel last year. Everybody's like, we have to sign this guy. He's got Cy Young experience. He, you know, he was a dynamo in the playoffs. He, he's won a World Series, all these different things, and then you put him at the front of the rotation. It's like, oh man, that didn't work. That didn't work at all. If only we could have seen coming that he wasn't like a number one. So, good deal for him, all things considered. $100 million even after Cole got 300 plus and Wheeler made 100 plus, you know, even after all of that, this is still a really good deal for him. He got paid. This is going to be some of the biggest paydays he's ever had. And we don't have to spend the next five years of people talking about why Bumgarner was a good or bad signing. Fun fact, though, 
Braves play the Diamondbacks first series of the year, so we will get to see him. His first start as a Diamondback will be against the Braves. I don't know what the deal is with a lot of these things. I mean, just talking about the Kluber deal, I guess we should talk about that a little bit. Um, There's a lot of pitchers that if this were 2015, 2016, we'd be a little bit more up in arms about (laughs) what they're getting. Um, But as somebody had to point out to John Heyman, uh, in 2020, they don't pay you for what you did in 2016. Uh, they pay you for what you're going to do in 2020, 2021, and so on and so forth. But even so, man, for, for those of you that have been living under a rock and didn't see, Corey Kluber essentially got traded for the baseball equivalent of, like, a crumpled up napkin. Like a used napkin. <laughs> from, like, a barbecue restaurant. <laughs> yeah, um... You know, Kluber was a really good candidate to be traded all all off season. Even if they were, even if they were selling low, all of the the chatter about Lindor. You know, they're making basically the same. I think Lindor is making sixteen, and Kluber's making seventeen. So, um, it was inevitable that at least one of them was going to wind up moving. And when the news of the deal broke, I'm like, okay, let's. This is going to be substantial, and it was Delano DeShields Jr. And Emmanuel Classe, who is a relief prospect, who can who can touch 101 with his cutter, and apparently he's like super elite, but he's still a relief prospect. And that was it. Like everybody was just sitting around, just waiting. Okay, there's going to be another piece that breaks. Like, oh my God, Joey Gallo's going. <laughs> Joey Gallo's going to go to to Cleveland. Leodis there's going to be another piece is on this the team. way. Leodis Tavares is going to Cleveland. Yeah, there's going to be some. There's other. Uh, components of this deal that have just not leaked yet. And then after a while, you're like, okay, well, I guess this is it. And look, Corey Kluber took one off the forearm last year. It was, you know, exit velo on the one that came back and, and shattered his, his arm was like over 100. I mean, that's that's hard to to come back from. I mean, it's your freaking forearm when you're a right-handed pitcher. What do you expect? And then having a big salary is like, it's a death sentence almost. For the team, more so than it is the player. The money's guaranteed. The player gets paid. You think Corey Kluber's going to give a damn if he's got a broken forearm, but he still makes 18 or $17 million next year? He'll probably be fine. But so they definitely had reason to, you know, let's just gauge the market. Let's see if we can get anything. But, you know, even saying they got pennies on the dollar, like I'm not saying that he was worth some Mookie Betts, Francisco Lindor level return, but that's not, like, that's comically like A fifth outfielder and a reliever prospect. And Delino's cool dude. He's from this area. Uh, but you're talking about a dude that's basically Malik Smith if you took away the good parts of Malik Smith. Like, Delino's, like, all you can say about him is he's fast. That's that's it. He's Yuri Perez. Basically. He's about 5'8". Yeah. He listed it like 5'9". He's about 5'8", five, 5'7". Five, uh, he's just super fast. And, you know, happy for him that he found work, but... <laughs> I mean, I I can't believe there. I can't. I, what I really want to know is what was everybody else offering? If that was the best offer on the table, yeah. And and you know the the Braves, you know they they got Cole Hamels for essentially the same the same money that that Kluber is making. But you can start looking at that going. Well, I mean, obviously the Braves could have beat that deal, and the fact that. You know, the Rangers are kind of on the periphery. Like, they need to make some type of push. You had mentioned how you thought that Rendon was going to wind up back there. Donaldson could still wind up there. Just, you know, they they need a third baseman. 
they need to get creative because if they're gonna have, they're gonna wind up overcoming the Astros and o- overcoming you know the Angels just added Rendon and you know they're they're still the A's the A's made the playoffs last year too so the Rangers obviously need to make some type of move more so than a team like you know the Dodgers are right there the Braves are like right there there's still some moves to be made for both teams but they're much farther along than a team like the Rangers are so you know maybe they were determined that they're going to wind up getting Kluber no matter what. And they just fell backwards into this really happy situation where it's like, we really don't have to give up that much. So what it tells me, this whole thing is that other teams are looking at this going, I think that he is completely busted and there's no way he recovers. Like a broken forearm is hard to come back from when, you know, you basically are using your forearm like all of the time, like your entire livelihood rests on your arm. Yeah, but for the Rangers, it doesn't really matter if it doesn't work out for them. I mean, they didn't give up anything. This is a perfect risk for them. If it works out, even if Kluber doesn't get back to Cy Young form Kluber, even if he settles into just being a a really good but not elite pitcher anymore, that's a sneaky good rotation now. Talking about between Kluber and Lance Lynn, Mike Miner, uh, they've got some good younger guys, guys like Joe Palumbo, who looks like they could be something. They've got some stuff over there now, and they really need to open up the new ballpark. They want to make sure that they drive fan attendance. They're you know they're a very rich team being in Arlington, Texas. Uh, they've got Joey Gallo. If they can keep him healthy. They've got some fun pieces. But if that works out, that is going to be that might end up being the most lopsided trade ever. Clase apparently is like he's apparently the real deal relief prospect. Like I said, hundred and one with, with. They've already got one of those though. They've already got James Karinchak. So is Clase going to be the closer or is Karinchak? Because that's already what they've been doing. They've got Brad Hand closing right now. Does that mean they're going to deal Brad Hand? Maybe they're going to try and do this super bullpen thing and just keep keep everybody in there. But I mean, there's also a similar. It's the same thing with all your high velo guys that everybody talks about. Ooh, hits triple digits. Yeah, but does he know where it's going? I mean, apparently. You know, best case scenario for this guy is like legit Aroldis Chapman, but what what are the actual odds that he's gonna? There's a wide variance. You could be, you could be Aroldis, or you could be Mo Cabrera. Yeah, I mean we we saw we saw firsthand what happens when you're when you're Mo Cabrera, and he's he's been uh, churned out of so many different teams. Now I don't even know who he's playing for. Well, it should be mentioned by the way, Clause. Hey. When he got to double A with the Rangers last year, did not strike out 10 per nine, which is very odd for a closer. Uh, got to the majors for 23 innings and was only sitting at 8K per nine. So what that tells me is that his stuff doesn't exactly, isn't exactly super hard to hit. Now, in the lower minors, his strikeout rates were great. But as he moved up and moved up, now that's not to say that he's not going to figure out because he does have, anytime you throw a cutter 101 miles an hour, Everybody's going to be interested. Um, but for Corey Kluber, man, I, I, I don't know. I, that, that's a, that is a comically bad deal. I would have given up a lot more for Kluber than, um, you know, even, even knowing that he might not come back full. Um, well, I mean, just looking at it like that, if you'd given up Jaseel De La Cruz, you'd have been given up a lot more. Well, yeah. I mean, and and at a certain point, you don't have to compare what you what you know I would have given up or what you would have get like. You have to just compare it to the actual package that went out the door. So it is surprising to me that that there wasn't more interest just because of the track record. You're right. In 2020, you don't pay for 2016 anymore. But once you get to a certain point, there's a, a reverence for somebody's track record, and Kluber certainly has got a track record that that would have 
garnered a little bit more than that. But you're right. This is an opportunity for the uh, for the Rangers who have pulled off a really sneaky move, and they, they're going to need these types of moves. You know, I don't count them out on on any of the remaining big guys. You know, whether it's uh, going and getting Hyunjin Ryu to go get in that rotation as well, and maybe um, any of these third base names that are on the market. You know, I don't know if they necessarily have the the type of prospects it would take to go get somebody like a Chris Bryant or certainly not like a Nolan Arenado, but I don't know. They're they're going to have to get creative if they're going to wind up overtaking the Astros and the, and the A's and everybody because that division is going to be tough. Really quickly, it's starting to look like a good division, but there was more than just Corey Kluber and Madison Bumgarner signing. Um, we're starting to get a little bit more a little bit more word on the Josh Donaldson thing. As you mentioned, he should be sending a thank you card and a special rum cake to Anthony Rendon for making his holidays even better. I have been wondering something because the scuttlebutt is, and it's a fair thing to assume that the Braves are going to have right of refusal basically for Donaldson, that he wants to be here, but he's not going to just lose out on a ton of money to come here. He's going to give Alex the, the right to tell him yes or no. Um, the longer that this drags out with Donaldson, do you think it helps Atlanta's chances or hurts? Mm, I, th- I think it hurts them. I think if they were willing to go a fourth year, I think they would have done it already. Um, man, I, there's part of me that really wants to believe that they're just going to come with this big offer and they're going to make it. It's going to be this big happy reunion, man. But I don't know. The, the more... The more it drags out, and it's going to be January soon. I think I think we know that he's going to want to take the biggest payday. And if it's close, if it's a matter of like a million dollars, he's going to choose the Braves over, say, the Nationals. But I don't think it's going to be that close. I think that the Braves are going to top out at something like three and eighty-one, somewhere around there. And if the Nats come in with like four and a hundred, and be like, "Peace, we'll see you guys in Washington." Huh. Three and eighty-one—that's an oddly specific number. Could it maybe be something that I might have texted you? Uh well you know that might be how it found its way into my subconscious. <laughs> but for real though that was that is the question because a lot of people I see a lot of stuff floating around of just give him the extra year, uh just just do whatever the Nationals are going to do. But that's not good business sense, and there's a reason why. Um, for all of you out there who are listening, who who would be perfectly fine with paying uh, a 37 year old Josh Donaldson 25 million dollars, I would challenge you to just go through. Fangraphs and find 37 year old players and tell me how many of them are actually worth the amount of money they're making. And for people that are pulling like Chipper Jones out for that, like you can't use Chipper as a comparison for things like that. You you can't do it. One, his age 37 season, like Chipper, one, Chipper is, is an extreme outlier. You're talking about a Hall of Fame player. And Josh Donaldson is great. And had he played. If he'd gotten up in the league at 24 instead of like 28, then maybe he'd have been on the Hall of Fame trajectory. Like maybe, maybe with the way some of the people are getting, and maybe he is now. But to just expect people to age like that and to be able to do that at 37 in a National League system—that that's not something you should expect. And to to say that you'll just give him four years—it's more about the years than the money per at that point. Because as I told you, I would overpay 
to get him on a three-year deal. I'd give him around 28 per season for the first two years. I'm relatively confident that he'll be good through his 34 and 35 campaigns. Then I think you'll start to see some drag at the end of that 35 into the 36 and 37, just looking at the trends in Major League Baseball. I know he's a vegan. I know he stays healthy. I I don't don't come at me with that. I, I don't dislike Josh Donaldson at all. But I've got a pretty strict policy of I'm not giving... I'm not giving four years to somebody who's going to turn 37, not to a position player who at third base is going to be relying on his on his his defense for Josh Donaldson to carry him through. We've already seen there's a little bit of drop off in the contact rates of what he had uh, when he was a little bit younger than he is now. So I'm not necessarily I'm not saying no to Josh Donaldson, but if it's if it is and it's reportedly at four and 100 right now with deferrals. If it really is at four and one hundred, or even at four and ninety, um, then I think we've seen Josh Donaldson play his last game as an Atlanta Brave. I think you're right, and I think in a different year when there weren't so many other options that are out there. I mean we we've talked about Chris Bryant every single episode for like two, months. and we're gonna do it again. Yeah, we're gonna do it again. And you know we talked about Nolan Arenado too, and, and we're gonna do it again, and we're gonna do it again, <laughs> and and you know this. There are so many options. And and GMs, you know, they look at the market and they say, okay, well, you got Rendon and you got Donaldson. And and if you're Jed Hoyer and Theo Epstein in Chicago, and you're like, well, this is pretty much a perfect storm to trade Chris Bryant right now. Um, in Colorado, my God, they, they've got to do something. You know, I know Arenado just signed that deal, but, like, they they are going nowhere fast. They can they can lose without him, So which they're going to wind up right. doing anyway. Well put. Well put. So, like, if... If I'm the Braves and I miss out on Josh Donaldson, we can have the talk about him going to a division rival and what that's going to mean. Because you know what's going to happen. We're going to wake up and we're going to find out that the Phillies signed him. They were long thought to have been sleeping on him, and then they woke and they stole Josh Donaldson from us. I would rather him go to the Nationals. Four years and $120 million. Yeah, Josh Donaldson goes to the Phillies. I hope he gets a nine-year contract. Um. But there's so many different options that are out there. And even even this week, MLB, you know, this is the time of year where all outlets, whether it's podcasts or whether it's uh, MLB.com or whatever, everybody's looking at content and say, okay, how can I make a segment out of this? Or how can I make an article out of this, you know? And so that's where you're starting to see, like, six not-so-crazy deals for Francisco Lindor and six not-so-crazy deals for Nolan Arenado. And one of the ones that was included in that was Arenado coming to the Braves with Charlie Blackman and a literal boat full of cash for Ender Inciarte, Kyle Wright, and William Contreras. Now, Arenado is making a lot of money next year, but if it comes down to Nolan Arenado, who's like going to play all of next year in like his 28th season? Yep. Vers- and making 32.5, and even with the contract that is... That is attached to him. Seven years, two hundred and thirty-four million. There's an opt-out in there, and in this scenario, the Braves would wind up taking on Charlie Blackman, dude. I would do that particular deal as listed so fast, even if it meant they'd only get Arenado for two years. Because at a certain point, once again, you're comparing what Donaldson's going to do next year at thirty-four versus Arenado at twenty-eight for what is, by and large, a pretty minuscule difference. Say Donaldson does get twenty-eight next year versus Arenado's thirty-two point five. Four and a half million dollars worth of a difference for the amount of impact and not having to sign Josh Donaldson to a four. What did I just call him? The the difference between the two that is worth it. Absorbing that extra four and a half million dollars, so you don't have to give Josh Donaldson 
pronounce it right that time, 27, 28 million dollars when he's 37. And maybe he does. You know, we say we can't compare him to Chipper. You're right. You can't do that. And maybe Josh Donaldson is going to prove everybody wrong and ride the vegan lifestyle into hitting 45 home runs when he's 37 year old, years old. But I don't even think Josh Donaldson is expecting him to do that. You know well, what no, I mean? I'll disagree with you there. Josh Donaldson probably expects himself to hit 38 homers by the time he's like 52. I mean, Donaldson thinks he is the most amazing. And for that reason, he's not entirely wrong. But I think, you know, there does come a point where you just have to say, okay, that's, we can't go any farther. This is literally our max offer. We're not just playing poker with you guys. You know, this isn't meant to be a standoff. Like, this is it. Take it or leave it. And if he does wind up going to Washington, that will be too bad. But there are other options out there. And I'm, I hate to say it, if it comes down to the fourth year, I'd rather just go get somebody else. I mean, I definitely would, but there, there is not, there is not a way to measure how fast I would hit except on that trade. Uh, now, to be fair to all of you freaking out because they put one out about Lindor that involved trading Ozzy Albies, read the piece before you freak out, because at the bottom of every one of those trades, it says who says no, and then it tells you which team would say no and why. So before, oh, the Rockies would never do that. It says the Rockies would say no because they would. Now, the real thing is, what would it take if you were willing to take on Charlie Blackman and help them get rid of that albatross of a contract, even if they reportedly were to send like 40 million back, which would shave off two of the years on that contract? What would you give up? That's a that deal that they proposed. It's not as outlandish as it looks at first. Now, the real question is, and I don't remember if I asked you this on last week's episode or not. Uh, I know I mentioned it in the Locked On episode. Uh, I'm not sure what I would do if I would want him to in, to keep the opt-out in there or if I would want to turn that opt-out into another year on the back end of his contract. So that would depend on the prospect capital that you have to give up. Then you're looking at pretty much the same issue, though, is because Arenado's deal extends till he's... 37 or 36 now and so no question because then you're looking at not one but two different cba negotiation cycle negotiation cycles god i'm just dropping dropping letters like it's nothing um so if it doesn't happen in 2021 it should happen in 2026 so by that point you're essentially covered but at the same time you're looking at the exact same thing for arenado that you're looking at for Donaldson now, you're just pushing the decision back for six more years. I would honestly, I would take that deal with the opt-out after two years, knowing full well that it's entirely possible he could wind up making $35 million through his prime. I would, at the very least, you'll get a pick for him if he leaves. Right. And giving up Ender, you know, Charlie Blackman is a very interesting and intriguing addition to this trade, partially because I think that even if they did send money, that might make it somewhat not palatable, just because even if you are sending money, and or if you're sending Ender and they're sending money back, then you're still taking on like $20, 30000000 million just, just next year, so for something that you're basically getting from Ender already, and then you start looking at the Bryant deal. So th this is why, why I'm not a GM. But a deal that is based around Ender and Ciarte, when you know you've got Christian Pache coming, or you know that you've got Drew Waters coming, or you can just plug Acuna into center field now, and they did it for most of last year anyway. Ender, Wright, and Contreras, I mean, 
prospects were cool, but like parades are cooler, man. And you, right. I think that gets lost in translation sometimes. Like, yes, it's cool to hear that your prospect is, is a top 10 prospect in baseball and that he's got a 60 future value. Um, the thing with that is when you can trade them for a person who is already a present 60 value, uh, you should do that pretty much every time. Uh, there, there's a reason why. Now, there, there's certainly differences. Like Mike Trout was, for a while, was not rated. Like he was like, what, 26th pick in his draft? Uh, for a while, he was not ranked in, or expected to be Mike Trout. Um, Ronald Acuna, I mean, it's a good thing that we didn't trade him. Although, if you'd gotten Yelich, this may be crazy to say, but the overall numbers would not have been dissimilar. Um, sorry, but now as everybody's ready to attack me, um, there, there are certain players that you don't want to deal that way, but when you can get proven elite production, you do it. That's kind of the whole point. We don't know what these prospects can be. Every time that somebody tells you a future value, that is inherently assuming that they reach their potential. And there's no guarantee that they do. Look at Mike Olt. Doc, I know you remember Mike Olt when he was with the Rangers. When he was with the Rangers, he was expected to be the next big thing. And he never was able to hit an off-speed pitch. And he became a quad-A player for a few years. Uh, What was it? Matt Dominguez. He was another one who was supposed to be a big-time player. Now he's trying to be a two-way guy as a bad reliever and an even worse third baseman. I mean, we've had a front row seat to it. You want to talk about future value? What was Manny Benuelo's future value? Or Matt Whistler? Right, or exactly. Lucas Sims? Or Christian Bethencourt? Lucas. Christian Bethencourt was rated as one of the best catchers in, major, in, the, in the whole minor league baseball system. Like, not just the Brave system, but in minor league baseball. Uh, Lucas Sims was, was a huge... He was the number one prospect in the system for like four years, which seemed like ten years. Jose Peraza. Jose, Jose Peraza, Peraza was, yeah. our, was like our number two prospect, while Lucas Sims was number one. We've seen it happen a lot. It, it's And every team has seen it. It's not the Braves. Every single team has seen it. it. It's one of those things that if you can get somebody that you hope your guy best case scenario turns into, that's why you do the deal. And that leads me to one that we talked that was just on uh, MLB.com or MLB Network, whatever one of those. Uh, and it was proposed by Dan O'Dowd. And this is a Chris Bryant trade. And you guys all know I am the the local get me Chris Bryant type of guy, uh, and this deal kind of epitomizes that. Now this is for two years of Chris Bryant because everybody knows he's not winning that grievance. Uh, it is Austin Riley and Bryce Wilson for Chris Bryant. No other people. Uh, I can't hit except fast enough. What about you? I would do that trade two weeks ago. Maybe it's not that crazy. Maybe I don't know what's going on in the Cubs front office or in the Braves front office, but I mean. If that deal was floated as an actual option, I could not possibly take that deal fast enough. Oh, I mean, I my my original deal doesn't look so crazy now, does it? Refresh everybody's memory. Austin Riley, Sean Newcomb, and Shane Green. Yeah, I mean, I suppose the biggest thing there would be Green's money to kind of offset some of Bryant's. Um, right, and the Cubs need a bullpen guy. They don't want to completely tear down, so... Whether you think Austin Riley is going to be better than Chris Bryant, I happen to not, um, as you guys can tell. And, and it's not anything against Austin Riley or Bryce Wilson. I like them both fine. I just don't think that Austin Riley is seven-war Chris Bryant type of good. And like, when, when you've got Chris Bryant, that's a five-war floor. Let's just get that out of the way. Five-war is a lot. Uh, and to just, you know, 
for Austin Riley to, to be similar value through the course of his contract, you'd have to get him to be at least three war. And I'm not going to rely on that when I've got a sh- very short window. People just take windows for granted in baseball. The two, the what, 2014 or 2015 Mets, I bet you they thought they had a six-year window. How many? How how wide was their window, Doc? One year. Yeah, and this is what happens when, uh, you know, this is why you have to get all of the pitching because their their top five when assembled was unbelievable, but they didn't really have anything coming back on the other side of that. So Matt Harvey broke, Stephen Matz broke, you know, things kind of went sideways for them. You gotta you gotta yeah. stock. You gotta be deep. You do, and you also have to be willing to, when you stock all those great, talented players, you have to accept you're not keeping them all. And it's not as simple as, well, let's just give away the bad ones and keep all the good ones. You've got like 12 good ones. You don't have space for all of them. You've built a Super Bullpen. You've got no no, no room of the bullpen for any of them. So you're going to have to deal a lot of them. I think this offseason you do. I do have one more thing I want to talk about before we take a quick break and come back with our fun segment and get everybody happy again. Um for whatever reason in the pre-show, Doc and I always like to talk, and we are constantly talking about certain players. And there are certain players that one of us or both of us just happen to uh, have a very large man crush on. And one of mine, which has been for a long time, has been Jorge Soler. And I know there's a lot of you out there that also love Jorge Soler. Soler's a guy that in 2016 I was trying to uh, find a way. When the Braves were originally talking to the Cubs, the Cub- in the it was going to be Julio Tehran traded to the Cubs the original ask that the Braves wanted was Javier Baez. The Cubs rightly said, how about Kyle Schwarber? And the Braves said, how about Jorge Soler? And the Cubs weren't willing to do it, so it never came to fruition. Uh, I would love Jorge Soler, and it feels like he's been around forever because he came out of Cuba really young. He got a nine-year deal back in like 2012. Um but he's only 27 years old. He's coming off 48 homers. Doc, you were just doing some digging on him. His numbers at Kaufman and away from Kaufman, it doesn't matter because he hits the ball so incredibly hard. Yeah, he actually has got some really interesting splits. I mean, Kaufman, it was one of the last two weeks we were talking about how, which part is the number two pitcher's park. Yeah, it is. It is absolutely just cavernous place. And even still with doing that, he wound up hitting 21 home runs in Kaufman. He hit, uh, in 81 games, and he had uh, 27, uh, 27 home runs in 81 road games. So even for a place that's big, he was still able to hit a lot of home runs. We're going to talk about his defense in a second because it is not good. But when you no, it at, does need to be talked about. Okay, well, when you look at his batted ball profile, it is positively elite. It's up there with the Aaron Judges and the Nelson Cruzes and all of these guys that are absolutely tattooing the ball. There are different ways to to fill this cleanup hitter hole. Chris Bryant is a good one because it's a logical match, but also he could do it at third base. He could also do it in left field. I almost might even prefer it if he did it in left field. But it, once you turn your focus to um, to the outfield, what you can do in that particular spot. Jorge Soler, I legitimately think he would hit 55 home runs if he was able to play home games at SunTrust instead of Kaufman and being able to play in Citizens Bank Park. You pointed out when we talked about this before, Miami is moving uh, their fences in. I don't think it's going to be substantial, but it is certainly going to make it much uh, more friendly of a hitter's park. So I think that somebody who is spending that much time, you know, two-thirds of his games in 
moderately friendly parks to wind up playing in. I think that's huge. And unfortunately, if you're looking at one of these longer deals like an Arenado thing or even like a Donaldson thing, when you can say, oh, well, there might be the DH here, you don't have that luxury with Solaire. So I know we're not going to get into the metrics of the defense, but you don't have the luxury of hiding him the way that you would uh, some other guys because he's not on that long of a deal. He's he's projected for $11 million next year and then uh, one year of arbitration next year, and then he's a free agent. So hopefully, you know, maybe you do a little bit of shading with uh, with Ender and Acuna out there and just say, you know, we'll, we'll do some of the heavy lifting here. Your hitter is excuse me, your position is hitter. We just need you to hit home runs. We'll handle the defense. You could make that case. The question Dude, is, had, what, what does it cost? He had like 60 barrels, though. He had 60 barrels last year. 70. 70 barrels. 70. I, I shorted him 10, and he still probably would have led Major League Baseball. 6'4", yeah, I mean, 230? Yes. Make no mistake. And with the DH he, coming, by the way. He hits the cover off the ball. Like, his hard hit contact rate was 49%. That's half 49.9. Yeah, f- half the time you put the Literally ball in play, 50%. it was above 95 miles per hour. That is criminal. Now, the one thing you can say to that, I guess, is, well, what about Pache and Waters? You don't want to block them. Doc, you know my feelings on whenever anybody talks about blocking somebody. Uh, Ender can go at that point when Christian Pache comes up because Pache is an even better defender than Ender, which will just help Solaire that much more. Then when the DH comes in, boom, you're good to go. Um, but that wouldn't stop you from making moves because Solaire's not making a prohibitive amount of money. The real question is, what do you think you'd have to give up in that sort of deal? I'm awful at fake trades. I'm really, really awful at them. I never know when I'm giving way too much or not enough. So this is where something like the the baseball trade simulator, you know, when everybody's got their pre-designated values, that actually helps because then I can at least be like, I can get something in like in the proper realm, you know? But even still, I mean, I, you look at somebody like, like Bryce Wilson, you know, I, I'm obviously you're not going to wind up giving up like a Pache, a Waters, an Ian Anderson for Solaire. Because part of it is he doesn't have the track record to warrant getting a prospect like that. He was outstanding last year. Don't give me And a- he is, and he is a one he is a a he's not a complete player. You are only getting him for offense. Right. And if you if you want a guy who's gonna show up and hit you fifty home runs next year, I mean this this is is close just looking at the batted ball profile, that's as close of a slam dunk as a 50 home run guy as you're going to get. If you can sustain it, that's the thing. He wasn't hitting it quite that hard in previous years. And maybe he turns back into the version of Jorge Soler, who was kind of like a quad A guy who couldn't take that next step. So it's hard to say coming off of that one year what I would give up. I think Bryce Wilson might be, when you're looking at the, the top prospects, Pache 1, Waters 2, Anderson 3, Right four, Langoliers five, Wilson six. If the track record was longer, I might be persuaded to go a little bit higher on that list, but because it's not, I think Bryce Wilson is the highest I would give up. And then after that, I would pick somebody from like the 20s, somewhere like um, CJ Alexander. And maybe not even CJ Alexander because his value is probably at a low point right now. Um, I don't know. Daisbel Hernandez? Hate to do it, but. You know, Why would you want to trade your clothes for the future? You see, and that's the thing. I, I never know. I, <laughs> I never know. I love Days Bell. Uh, I I would I would deal I deal another starter. I mean, I would deal another starter just to get rid of some of the depth. Honestly, um, now 
obviously that package could get bigger depending on, say you wanted to dip into their prospect pool a little bit in return to make it a little bit so you could kind of clear out some of the glut in your system and get somebody who would be halfway decent in return. The Royals actually have a halfway decent system, especially at the top. Um, there's a few other guys that I wouldn't mind trying to snatch from them if I could. I don't know if where they, they are right now. They, they've been drafting really creatively. They've gone real college heavy. And uh, heavy on the uh, heavy on the pitching. Last year they took Bobby Witt Jr. second overall, which high school guy. Shocker, right? You, Shocker. Yeah, you. It's Bobby Witt. Yeah, you basically you have to do that, and you knew that. You know, Adley Rushman wasn't going to fall. They could have taken Andrew Vaughn, but they didn't. They took Bobby Witt because he's a, he's a supreme talent. But you're right. The Royals have uh, they do have a, a good top of their farm system, but I don't know if they'd be willing to get into that side of it. I think. When you start looking at Colorado, it's hard to know what they would want in a deal for Arenado. You look at Chicago, you could say, I think you could probably make a good case that they would want some guys that are major league ready. Kansas City, it's probably a little murkier or even a little tending a little bit, little bit more towards them taking just prospects because they know even though the AL Central is the weakest division in baseball, they know they still have a long road to contention. They have a long way to go. So... I think they would be more willing to hold on to their own and just stockpile some of ours. You know, maybe if they want to look at a deal for like a hundred dozier, once again, big bat, bad defender, fills a need. Um, just so they could wind up hoarding prospects, as it were, so then they can eventually overtake like the Indians and and the uh, the White Sox, who are probably shaping up to be pretty decent uh, next year, and the Twins, who wind up going to the playoffs again and still not winning. So. I don't know. I don't think that they would wind up moving a whole lot of their guys, but who would you want? Who would you want to pilfer from them? I mean, I might go after like an Emmanuel Rivera. It's a third baseman who has a, a pretty good hit tool, uh, really, really good arm and a really good fielder. That way you've got another third baseman in the system there. Um, I don't know, maybe a Kevin Merrill. I would love Kyle Isbell, but that's not going to happen. I'd love Brady McConnell, but that's probably not going to happen either. Uh, I think you could pry McConnell out of them, but you're going to end up giving them you're going to end up giving them something better in return. I think if you wanted to get into Brady McConnell territory, then you'd start having to talk about Kyle Wright instead of Bryce Wilson. Um, pretty much offering the same type of deal that you'd be offering for Chris Bryant, which I don't think I would do. Um, I mean, I'd love to just do Solaire. I would. I would just. I would hope that that wouldn't be the only trade because you still have a ton of pitching prospects that you have to thin out the herd a little bit, just for the sake of people being able to move up and actually. Like the 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 underhand the un, the underside of this of having seven eight nine ten pitching prospects that are rapidly getting close to the same levels is a lot of these guys aren't going to continue to progress and develop at their current levels. So it's why it was important to get Ian Anderson up to AAA last year. You he wasn't going to progress much more at AA. I mean, you're, you're going to run into that with a lot of your guys, Kyle Muller, Jaseel De La Cruz, guys like that who are, who are moving very quickly through the system. They need to be able to continue to move up to face better and better hitters and progress to the point where they can start to realize some of that potential. If you've got basically two and a half rotations full of young guys who are right around the same age, then people are going to get stunted and you're going to lose value on them because then they're not going to be worth as much in a trade either. So... Uh, I, I would be down for pretty much any of it. I would love a Kyle Isbell just because I love Kyle Isbell. Um, more likely, I think you're right. I think it would be something like, a, say, a, a Bryce Wilson and a lotto ticket, maybe like a Freddie Tarnock, uh, something, like, something like that. Now, 
all that being said, we just went on for 50 minutes in segment one. So those of you that stuck it out, you guys are all troopers. Thank you guys so much. Um, but when we come back, we're going to break out an old an old but good segment that I, uh, I I have a feeling that you guys have been missing. Uh, make sure you stick around for the holiday Christmas episode. Back here in just a flash right here on the Platinum Sombrero. Welcome back to the Platinum Sombrero, ladies and gentlemen. Still Doc Herbert here talking to you about Blue Chew. Ladies, don't you hate it when you slip on your kinkiest little lingerie and try and seduce your man but it doesn't go anywhere? It's not that you don't look fabulous, because you might. But maybe it's a symptom of a much deeper issue, like erectile dysfunction. And if it is, you've still got time to grab some Blue Chew and make sure your man can give you a Merry Christmas. The effectiveness of Blue Chew is not situation-specific, as this chewable little pill can get the blood flowing properly in any number of places, like a shopping mall, a restaurant, even in line at the bank. After all, it only takes half the time of a regular ED, t- ED pill, so your man will be pushing maximum capacity in his drawers in half the time. Ladies, when you go to bluechew.com, spelled just like it sounds, use our promo code armchair, also spelled just like it sounds, to get your man a sample of Blue Chew, it's just five bucks to cover postage and shipping. It's the season of giving, and you know you'll wind up getting plenty of bang for your buck anyway. I know you see what I did there. Fill his stocking, and he can fill something of yours, too, with Blue Chew. So, that is absolutely foul, and I'm very proud to uh, to still be reading these ads after several weeks now. It is the time of year where everything kind of slows down a little bit. It is Christmas time, or it is uh, Hanukkah time, or it is Kwanzaa time, regardless of whatever you celebrate. And this this year at Platinum Sombrero, we wanted to give a little something to you guys that uh, I actually can't remember whether or not we gave to you last year, but welcome to what may or may not be the first ever Christmas-themed episode of Extra Innings that we have ever done. Dylan, how excited are you for this? I'm very excited. We We didn't originally have this planned in the show sheet, but it's been so long since we've done an Extra Innings. I'm I'm really excited for this. I think this is going to be really good. Well, you know, there's plenty to talk about, too. I mean, everybody, I think this is, um, it's kind of everybody's, not necessarily their favorite time of year, but it's such an important time of year. You get family together, you have what feels like really significant memories about things, and I don't know, it's a good time of year to be nostalgic. So, you know, this is, uh, this will be the third year that we've lived in this house, and uh, just me and Valerie, not, uh, not me and Dylan for anybody who's listening and got confused about that. So, um, you know, even for having such a short time, short amount of time spent in this house, we've already got some great memories here. And I know it's the same thing for you and Sarah. So, so let's get down to it, man. Let's, uh, let's talk about some Christmas stuff. Like we keep the TV on during Christmas time. We've done this ever since I was a kid because there's Christmas movies running all the time, whether it's like cheesy Hallmark Christmas movies, which are some of the best worst form of entertainment that is possibly out there. But there's usually like, there's like special tiers of Christmas holiday movies. And I know what my particular favorite one is, but I want to know, Dylan, what is your favorite Christmas movie? It's easy. Die Hard. Man. <sighs> okay. I get it. I get what you're saying. And I, and I hate to be immediately contrarian, but like, look at the poster for Home Alone. Look at the poster for National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation or Elf. 
And then look at the poster for Die Hard. That is not a Christmas movie. It takes place at Christmas, but it's not a Christmas movie. Dude, there's a Santa in there, and he says, ho, ho, ho. And it's a Christmas movie, and all of you doubters can suck it. It's it's an action movie filmed at Christmas. So a Christmas movie can't be an action movie? I'm not saying that, but I'm saying it should be to be a good action movie, which Die Hard is. It should be properly marketed as an action movie. Whatever. I'm not gonna let I'm not gonna let you bully me into changing it. But if I do had to have one other one, so let's say a Hallmark movie or whatever, non Die Hard because the answer is Die Hard, obviously. But another one, I guess, would be The Grinch, the animated Grinch from like 1967, the real one, not the garbage Jim Carrey version. Yeah, I didn't I didn't particularly care for. Uh didn't really care for the the Jim Carrey reboot. Is it a hot take, by the way, for me to say that Jim Carrey is horrible and not funny at all? When I was a kid, man, I thought Ace Ventura was like the funniest movie that was ever made. I can't even, I can't even go back and watch it now. It's, it's terrible. He's so cringy. (laughs) It's so bad. I, I cringe every time I see him try to be funny. Some of his serious stuff, like Truman Show was really good. And Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind was really good. But, yeah, the, the comedy shtick kind of ran thin. You want to talk about sequels that never should have been made? Ace Ventura 2, When Nature Calls, definitely on that list. Uh, that's definitely on the list of worst movies of all time. Like, I think that's legitimately on that list. No, it's it's very bad. It's very, very bad. Bad enough to where you would rather watch Boondock Saints. Uh, probably so, actually. True story. Saw Ace Ventura 2 in the theater. Did you yes, walk did. out? I, I'm pr- I, I'm pretty sure that I had my parents drop me off at the theater. Um, <laughs> it was supposed to be like a big move of independence for me, but it wound up just being like my dad saying, I've got to find some way to get out of this. And eventually he found a way. So <laughs> I know, I don't think I ever did the solo movie thing. And it, it was, it was weird. I, I didn't have a lot of friends. I didn't have a lot of choices. <laughs> so <laughs> if I wanted to see it, it was either go see it with my parents or go by myself, and my like, dad didn't even want to go with me. My parents are pretty much into the same movies I am, so like even when Lord of the Rings came out, it's when I always remember my, my parents went and watched it with us because they like that type of stuff. Uh, or at least my dad does. My mother, not so much. But, you know, she likes to... She's she's not Italian, but she acts like it. Uh, you know, she wants to, to be involved in all the children all the time. Uh, so she would always go to those. We never... Uh, I don't, I don't think I ever went to, like, I don't think I ever had them drop me off for a movie. I don't think I went to a movie like that solo by myself or with just a group of friends until I could drive. As lame as that sounds. I would get dropped off occasionally. I do remember one time, and this was, let's see, this would have been like 1995, 1996. And my dad was supposed to come pick me up after a movie, but there were two movie theaters in town, and they were they were we were equidistant from both. So it wasn't like more logical that I would go to one uh, than the other. So he was supposed to pick me up from movie theater one. Well, he wound up going to movie theater two and was waiting for me. And was probably having some mild freak out because he couldn't find me. Meanwhile, I'm at the other movie theater freaking out because I can't be found. And like I said, this was 95, 96. So cell phones were, were not really a thing. And I remember approaching a guy, approaching a stranger because I didn't have any change to, um, to use a payphone. And I asked this guy, because he was talking on his cell phone, I asked if I, I could use it to call my folks. Obviously distressed, obviously freaking out. He was just like, basically told me to go F myself that I wasn't able to touch his cell phone because this was like... I mean, Back I when they were was, like $600? 
oh yeah, this was like, you know, picture flip phones in like 1996. You know what I mean? He, he would have, oh my God, it, embarrassing to look back on the entire situation. But uh, he got super indignant that I wanted to use his cell phone. So my dad eventually showed up. I lived. I'm, I'm still here. <laughs> well, that's a good story. I would have used that for one of the embarrassing stories. Oh, and as I was getting into it, I think I might have told that one already. <laughs> so. I, I've never heard that one. I've never heard. Uh, I've never heard of you getting shafted from using. I'm, first of all, can we talk about what a dick that guy was? Oh yeah, I mean clearly, this is a child in distress. Like, well, what age were you? Thirteen. Okay, that is a young child or young kid in distress. Yeah, you could have like he could have just dialed the phone and like held it for you and just sat there to make sure that you didn't mess up his phone. Yeah, put it on speaker, dude. I don't care. <laughs> it would was, there, was there a speaker back in like '95? But that, well, I mean, I would have went up calling my calling my parents' house line, which is another thing that that has um, that has totally changed since then. But my mom would have still been home, and she wouldn't have had any way to, to have gotten in touch with my dad. So, um, uh, who knows? Things things I don't I don't actually know how long I had to wait before he showed up there. So. But in the spirit of moving things along, we went super long in the first segment. I still haven't even told you my favorite Christmas movie. It's Christmas Vacation, dude. It's the only one. It is the only one. I, I get the ones with Yukon Cornelius. I get Elf. I can even make a case for Die Hard. Okay? But Clark Griswold, it's, it is one of the, the most quotable movies of all time. Not just Christmas movies, but like we used to watch Christmas Vacation in like June. Just because it's a great movie, like you, even if you remove the Christmas element from it, Clark Griswold is the perfect anti-hero. Cousin Eddie is like the greatest sidekick. It's the best, man. I just, I can, I can accept no substitutions for it. In, Christmas Vacation it, or bust for me. It's in the rotation. That's one like every year. I will, I will, yeah. I can watch that one every. Like Christmas Story, I don't ever need to see Christmas Story again. I've seen I never want to watch it. I hate that movie. Yeah. Seen it a million times. Partially because they run it 12 consecutive times on Christmas Day. For 24 straight hours. And they've been doing that. For like 18 years. Forever they've been doing that. It's amazing. It's horrendous. It's just, yeah. So, I don't know. And and I think that my dad told me that he's never actually seen Christmas Story in sequence, which. Probably not. You just pick up bits and pieces of it along the way. Because you, it's it's on. You go to eat, and you come back, and you're at a different part. And you take a nap, and there you go. No one watches it all the way through. That's true. That's how I saw the Matrix. It's very confusing to do to do it that way. <laughs> That's okay. I I understand with the Matrix. That was a hot take again. Highly overrated trilogy. I'll agree. I will agree. At least you didn't try and pass it off as being a Christmas movie. Okay, it is a Christmas movie. It says ho ho ho. So when if Ho 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 was in that movie, it's it's a Christmas movie. <laughs> it happens on Christmas. We have to move on. We have to move on from the movie thing. We, we were supposed to be done fine. right now. We've already gone. Fine. Everybody, fine. Everybody let us know. Die Hard, Christmas movie, yes or no. Okay. When you're decorating your house, do you go for the, uh, the white, the plain lights, or do you go with the colored lights? Well, first off, I hate putting up Christmas lights. It's one of my least favorite things to do ever, but uh, you got to go colored lights. Really? Yes, oh, really. Man. I'm not an animal. <laughs> I just I like the I've always thought like the the white lights are like they're super elegant. You get like very subtle 
on the outside, you get like some of those little candles you put in your window. You know what I mean? And it's like, it glows. We're not talking Griswold here where you can see it from space or anything. I don't I know. I mean, we invented colored lights for a reason. What reason was that? Because it's pretty. <laughs> so, do you do like the bigger bulbs or do you want just like the, those still kind of super thin ones like you would see them like the, uh, the green strand? The super thin ones. Now, see... I guess I should have prefaced this first. I do colored for the outside. If I were to do inside, I like white just because it won't keep me up at night. I don't really like doing the outside lights. To, I don't to like be doing per- lights anywhere. Like To be perfectly honest, I hate decorating trees, too. I know I sound like the Grinch. The tree, the tree is easier than it is doing outside because that's one of those things. You ever do like a, a home improvement project and you know you need help? But you also know that as soon as you wind up getting any type of help, then it would just make you furious. So it's right. it winds up being one of those things you have to just do on your own. <laughs> you know nobody's going to help you as soon as you tell them what it is you're trying to do. Dude, Val and I have been together long enough to where she knows if she sees me going outside with some Christmas lights to just go ahead and assume that she's not going to talk to me for like the next 29 hours. <laughs> right. like, just leave me alone and leave me alone when I come storming back in. Yeah, like, the Christmas spirit completely eludes me if I have to do anything involved with setting up for Christmas. She basically set up our entire Christmas this year. She did great. All I had to do was help put ornaments on the tree and, like, take the boxes back upstairs into the attic. <laughs> right? That could be my job. I'll gather. Yeah. Now, I'll do, I'll help put the ornaments on the tree. Like, we've got, you know, we have three horrible dogs who, knock on wood, they actually haven't barked this episode. But, so, we have to be careful <clears throat> about putting out a live tree you know, much like snots and Christmas vacation that uh, our German shepherd would wind up just drinking all of the water. Um, I'm surprised that none of them have like eaten ornaments off of the, uh, off of the bottom. So we've got the, the, um, the fake tree, the plug in, it's got the lights and everything. I'll do ornaments. I'm very averse to glitter. So Christmas can be kind of hard for me in, in that way. But, um, more often than not, I'm just a traditional plain white lights. I am, uh, to the surprise of no one, I'm like the most vanilla person everybody knows. So, I think uh, that works. That's okay. It's okay. What about uh, what about your Christmas morning traditions? Everybody has one. What's yours? I don't really necessarily have one. I I definitely enjoy the. I mean, I, I work for my house. I get to sleep in. It's not like one of those. You know, I don't have to like get up super early in the morning regularly. So, getting to sleep in on Christmas or anything like that, it's not not quite as special and. I'm kind of to the point now where I'm just, Valerie has such a strong association with Christmas and all of the really good memories. And we were talking about this not long ago, like she just loves decorating because it reminds her of like decorating the house with, uh, with her grandma and with, with her mom when she was a kid. So, um, and I don't really have that strong of an association with, so anymore it's like I'm taking on her traditions, like wake up and have coffee and like, you know, we'll do presents, but we don't go, like, super all out for each other. Like, this year, we're just doing stocking stuffers. Like, get me whatever you want, but it has to fit in here. And uh, eating, like, one of those, um, like, raspberry coffee cake type things. That was one of her traditions that has kind of rolled over into into ours. So, any of mine, they're so young, they can't even really be considered traditions anymore. But based on the way you asked me that, I'm nearly positive that you have a Christmas morning tradition that you will now tell us all about. Well... And I, I guess I should, it's, it's been around as long as Sarah and I have been together, so eight years and some change uh, from the time that we started dating, kind of living together. Uh, don't tell anybody I said that. Um, 
but what we would do is she is notoriously childish when it comes to gifts. Like I have to hide them. I can't have them around the house at all because she will snoop and she will shake and she will figure out what is in her gift uh, if she knows that it's there. So I have to completely hide it. Well, one of the things that we'll do is, you know, every time you want to go somewhere. So if I'm going to my parents' place and uh, everyone wants to open their gifts together, well, usually what we'll do is because she is like a child, um, we will open one gift each uh, when we wake up in the morning before we get ready to go. And then we'll go and we'll open the rest there or we'll wait till we get home later that night. Since there's three places that we end up having to go on Christmas, usually we'll go one place on Christmas Eve, two during Christmas Day. Uh, but it's usually a pretty busy day. Sometimes we've got three different places that we have to travel to. So uh, we try to find a little bit of time to, to do that. But, but we always make sure that we open one gift even if it's just opening our stockings, we always open one gift right when we get up. Open one gift in bed. That's cool. And did you ever do um, when you were growing up? Did you ever wind up opening presents on Christmas Eve, or were you strictly Christmas no. morning? No, I tried that. It was that was a, that was a no go in the short. Nope, that was a no no in the short household. Hmm. Grandparents, grandparents would let you, but that's because grandparents can't physically say no to a grandchild that is under the age of thirteen. That's ideal time to be that age. It you know, really you're going to wind up getting, getting everything that you ask for anyway. So it like, really is the best. And even if you don't get exactly what you asked for, it doesn't really matter. I mean, the night before you can't sleep, it seems to take like three years to get through that night. I remember I used to sleep like an hour long intervals. I finally fall asleep for an hour, wake back up and look at the time. It's only like 1030. Try to go back to sleep for an hour. It's 1130. And it, it's just the the anticipation of knowing that it's Christmas that next morning. Uh, was something else. I will say that that's probably the one thing I miss most, childhood to adulthood. You don't really get that way as an adult. Now, I've been assured that when you have children, it's a little bit different. But as of now, uh, there is nothing... Uh, there, there's nothing quite like knowing that it's Christmas when you're a, a, a kid. The, that kind of childlike sense of wonder, you know? And, and we... My parents have... In certain phases of, of their life, they've been more religious than others. Like any more, um, you know, their late 60s, early 70s, I would think they're trying to make sure they've, you know, better safe than sorry. <laughs> you know, they're they're making their their peace with God, as it were. And when, when I was a kid growing up, they were very, they said, okay, we can open all of the presents on Christmas Eve. And I'm just like, hell yeah, we can. But they were doing, <laughs> they were doing this so they could say, you know, we're trying to keep Christmas about Christ. And I'm like... Whatever, just hand me the gifts, dude. I'm 12. I don't care, you know. Right. And, and so now, um, and Val never, Val never did that growing up. So now we've we've pushed ours back to doing all of our presents on on Christmas morning. You see, I'm actually I don't even want to open things on Christmas Eve anymore. I want to give stuff. I'm so bad at like just sitting me on gifts. Me too. I because I am the worst person ever. I will. I have to physically fight myself not to be like, okay, let's open it now. I want you to, say, I want you to have it now. I am, uh, I am horrible when it comes to giving gifts. I also can't keep it quiet. I will tell you that I got you a gift. Like I, I cannot not tell you. Yeah, I mean, so at a certain point, who cares if it's the twenty first? I already, t- already told you what I got you. Do you want it? I'll, I'll buy you something else in its place. So, I've, I've had to have gotten better about that over the past couple of years. Can I tell you about a totally? Non sequitur. Can I tell you about a weird piece of torture that my wife just exacted on me? Tell me. She's downstairs making dinner, 
And I texted her that it smells wonderful because it did. And I don't exactly remember what it was, but there's some kind of bacon in it. And very sweetly came and opened the door and set the bacon down right on the inside of the room. It's too far away from me, dude. I can't reach it. So I'm going to need you to go on a, a quick soliloquy. I have a plate of three pieces of bacon that is just staring me in the face. I'll be right back, okay? That's fine. So uh, I'll, I'll move along to the next one here. Um, usually the, the next question is always, it's everybody does one thing for Christmas. You either do Christmas dinner or you do Christmas breakfast. Um, Christmas dinner, the question is, do you do ham? Do you do turkey? What, what's the food? Well, my family are devout breakfast eaters, like breakfast for dinner, breakfast, whatever time. And uh, we don't get a lot of time to, to actually eat breakfast together. We all work at different times and, and stuff like that, all that good stuff. So we always do Christmas breakfast, and it is always French toast, hash brown casseroles involved, uh, sausage balls, obviously, because that's, that's what we make in this family. Uh, but it's always French toast, and makes my mouth water just thinking about it. Uh, there are a few things in this world I love as much as French toast. It is the perfect food for basically every time of year, and especially when I don't have to make it because it does take forever and makes a mess. Um, but when when other people make it, I will gorge myself on French toast. I am that's probably as bad as a, that's one of the top three things that I look forward to the most about Christmas every year uh, is a little bit of confectioner sugar on top with some syrup over the top of it, and it is. Oh, it is such a, a good time. And then I get to take a nap before I have to go pig out for, for lunch or supper, depending on which part of the South you're from, <laughs> as I uh, have to make room for turkey and ham and, and all the traditional foods. But Christmas breakfast is it for us. Um, I don't know what you guys do as far as a dinner or an actual breakfast. What do you guys do? First off, I would like to thank you for allowing me to come and access this plate of bacon. I've already already managed to eat some of it. And uh, if anybody has a weird aversion to hearing people chew, I really did try and pour, point my face away from the microphone when I sat back down. So, <laughs> I mean, you're editing this week. You can just take it out. Yeah, I'm going to need to ask you how to, uh, how to do certain things here. Um, but, you know, we, like I said, we've got like the coffee cake tradition anymore, which is one of Valerie's. We would always go to, to my parents' house. Like Thanksgiving... I've gotten um, gotten okay at, at making. I just don't quite have the requisite experience. And my mom just loves cooking for giant groups of food. Like when we did our rehearsal dinner, we came to my, my folks and said, we would like to do it here. And we want you to do like a Turkish spread. You know, we used to live over there, have, have a, an affinity for Mediterranean food. And she crushed it. I mean, she literally cooked all day doing this. And she loves to do this. I mean, she did this for... 50 people, somewhere around there. She killed it. Never once thought to think, uh, or stopped to think, you know, this is going to be a lot of work for her. But she she took it in stride and was like, yeah, absolutely, I would love to do this. And so when it comes time to do Christmas, you know, we've had them over for Thanksgiving before, but we always wind up going to their house for Christmas. But it's never like the same thing. It used to be a ham growing up, which is too bad for me because I don't particularly care for ham. I would take turkey over it every single day. But it got to the point where she was changing it up every year. And, you know, one one year she would do, like, lasagna and garlic bread and do, like, the full Italian spread. And then another year she was going to do, like, shrimp and grits because – and I, I know that you – Yeah, I know, I know you've got to thank for shrimp and grits. And But the thing was she thought she had purchased grits until she went to go make the grits on Christmas Day and realized not only did she not have any – 
then everywhere was closed and she wound up calling a local waffle house and placing an order for like, you know, $40 worth of grits or something. So, um, regardless of whatever's on the menu, like I haven't even, you know, Christmas is a week from today. I haven't even, haven't even asked, um, what it is that, that we're going to wind up having this year, but I know it's going to be fantastic. Whatever, whatever it winds up being. My, my mom goes all out for holiday food. I mean, shrimp and grits, you can't go wrong with that. Any time of year, any time of day, it doesn't matter. It doesn't taste like Christmas, or you wouldn't think it does, but I mean, it's... It tastes like wonderfulness. It tastes like wonderfulness for sh- for certain, but it's just, it's, it. what the food is doesn't matter. Just the fact that everybody, whoever you've got together, sitting around eating it together, you know, that's the important part. And not only that, everybody also has a favorite Christmas candy, but there is only one correct answer. Doc, favorite Christmas candy. Everything's riding on this answer. Go for it. Seven-layer cookie. It's a seven-layer cookie. Seven-layer cookie. What is that? Actually, I do not know what all of the layers are. I know there's some, uh, there's coconut, there's chocolate chips, there's, I think there's graham cracker in there, there's, uh... I think caramel. I think there's different ways to different ways to do them. I will get the exact recipe, and you know, my mom will do them in like these uh, thirteen by nine Pyrex dish, and they're just like you don't need anything else. It's basically a complete meal. What is your Christmas candy? <laughs> I mean, I was just gonna say the Christmas tree Reese's. Well, I mean, those are obviously delicious. I mean, I don't get. Any, I mean, Christmas fudge when my Momo, my my mother's mother. Uh, she used to make homemade fudge every Christmas, Ooh. and it was melt in your mouth type good. It was the greatest ever. I I used to just ask for that for a gift too. Like just just give me extra, <laughs> just give me give me my own pan. Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, you ever do like the uh, like peppermint bark? Uh, I hate peppermint. Do you really? What a rough time of year. Yep. If my if my if my stomach is messed up, then I'll eat a peppermint. But that's it. I don't do peppermint flavored coffee. I don't do peppermint flavored anything. Man, I had peppermint flavored coffee today. I'd eat a candy cane right now. I wouldn't even face away from the microphone. So like when we do candy canes, we do like these sweet tarts flavored candy canes or, or some of those flavored candy canes. Jolly Rancher candy canes are a big staple in this household, but no regular candy canes. No, that's fair. I mean, different strokes for different folks. I I love the part of the year where it transitions from like Halloween into Thanksgiving and Christmas where everybody puts away their pumpkin everything and breaks out their peppermint everything. It's a, right. it's a good time of year. It's like just an excuse here. We we like what we like here in this country, mm-hmm. but we are uh, rapidly running out of time. But one more thing that we have to get to, uh, and this is one that I really just I'm being selfish here. Um, but what is what is your your biggest Christmas memory as a kid? Christmas 1990, I remember that was the year that my um, my dad told us that we were going to move to London, and we did not wind up moving to London. That's when we moved to Istanbul, Turkey. So um, that was one of those things I was like super pumped about. I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe it, because at that point, we'd never lived internationally before. And uh, you know, you figure if you're going to have to wind up going somewhere, the place where everybody already speaks English, and you know, maybe... Maybe they'll hate this type of American, but it's 1990, so maybe they don't hate us yet. The internet doesn't exist, and they they can't see how horrible we we really are all the way across the ocean. So um, that was really exciting. And then we went to Turkey, and 
well, that was, <laughs> that was very different than what I expected. So I had to dig for that one, man. I, I, I don't really have, like I have kind of insinuated, I don't have a ton of memories that are associated like with actual Christmas morning other than, you know, all the, the gifts and stuff, which is what's important when you're seven, eight, eight years old, how, however old you are, then, um, that all came on Christmas Eve. And I just remember Christmas day being a lot of like, just playing with my new stuff. <laughs> what about you? So I've, I've got one that I always come back to and I don't remember. Let's see. It was either like 98 or 99. I was probably seven years old, maybe six, anywhere between six and eight years old. Because after that, I had, I had been told some things that I'm not going to repeat on, on, on here. Um, but whatever the case, it was one of the nights that I couldn't sleep. I was doing my every, every Christmas Eve, I would do that basically sleep for an hour, wake up and, and try to get through the night as fast as possible. So it could be Christmas. Uh, I was really bad. I would never sleep. I would never get up early unless it was Christmas as the only day that I wouldn't sleep late. Uh, and as an adult now and knowing how much I love to sleep, I, uh, apologize to my parents all the time. Uh, but this night, I could not make myself fall asleep. I'd sit there with my eyes closed, but my mind would be racing. I'd still be awake. I'd just have my eyes closed for whatever reason. So uh, I got up around probably three or four. I got out of bed. <clears throat> it was right after I heard my dad go to the bedroom, which I assume meant he was going to bed. My plan was I was going to catch Santa and see if he brought me uh, the one thing that I really wanted more than anything else that year, and it was uh, a Star Wars Lego, uh, one of the Imperial shuttles with the Emperor Palpatine and Darth Vader, uh, and, and some other little dudes on there. But it was—I used to love Legos more than like any other toy. It was my favorite thing to do was sit there and build them, uh, and I would—I I just sat behind the tree, literally crawled behind the tree and sat there because I was going to catch him. Uh, nobody was going to catch me. Well. I guess I sat there for a few hours too long. I eventually fell asleep behind the tree. Uh, when everybody when everybody gets up in the morning, I kind of poke out from around the tree, uh, and uh, we went on with Christmas. But that that's one moment that uh, I'll never forget. So for for many many moons, I assumed that it was the Santa magic that made me fall asleep. Um, I didn't even notice him eating his cookies. Um, it's one of the things that me and my dad still talk about all the time. Apparently I learned that he, he went back to the bedroom to go wrap the presents he had bought for me. Uh, and when he came back out to put them there, uh, he could just see my legs poking out from behind the tree <laughs> and <laughs> just decided he'd leave me there. Uh, cause he didn't want me to see him putting the presents under the tree. So, uh, I, I, I always come back to that as, um, probably my favorite Christmas memory. <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah, that's. I'm just picturing like in Wizard of Oz when the the house lands on the witch, and you can just just see the legs sticking out underneath. The same thing with you in the Christmas tree, right? You you just see some little white feet sticking out between some presents. Mm -hmm. Me with my back pressed up against the wall back there, fully asleep. Is do you have anything that you're uh, hoping that you get this year for Christmas? Next week when we record, we'll uh, we'll compare and contrast to see if we if you got what you wanted. Nothing I can say on here. Same. I mean, I don't really, I'm at that point now where I don't have any children. There's nothing that I really, you know, if I want something, I buy it. Like, I, I don't wait for a day to to get it personally. Like, if I have the money to get it, I'll get it. If not, then no. So I, I don't really care about getting gifts anymore. 
Like I, it, it drives my mother and my wife crazy. There's really nothing that I ever really want. So, um, it's just nice that I have a day off of work to be quite honest. That's what you're most excited about for Christmas this year is just not having to go to work. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I dread having to go places, but I love that I'm going to have a lot of food. I say it <clears throat> every Halloween, every Thanksgiving, every Christmas. I love a good eating holiday. My inner fat kid is so excited to just go and eat a whole lot of whatever. I still, out of respect for everybody, I'm still just staring at most of this plate of bacon over here. So we should probably wrap things up here. Yeah, I think that's probably good. We've been at this one a little bit longer than we thought, too. But, hey, it's an extra special episode for an extra special season. Uh, thank you guys so much for those of you that made it through this episode. We really do appreciate you. Uh, thank you guys so much, and a Merry Christmas to all of you. To those of you that don't celebrate Christmas, Happy Holidays, uh, Happy Hanukkah, Happy Kwanzaa, whatever it is that you guys celebrate, I hope you guys have a fantastic holiday. And we will be back next week. Sans Christmas, probably another extra three pounds added on to bring you what we hope will be some more good news regarding the Braves. Maybe we'll have a little bit uh, of, of new acquisitions to talk about, but whatever the case, you guys have a great time. Have fun being with your family, your friends, or however you spend your holiday seasons, and we will catch you next time right here on the Platinum Sombrero. Did you ever see the pieces of the Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.